the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Today, a special tribute to a very special man, one of the leading Christian apologists of our life, Ravi Zacharias, who passed away at his home in Atlanta on May 19th. In his final sermon, he deals with issues that really go to the heart of the Christian faith and our relationship with Christ in his message entitled, Marching to a Different Drummer. Once again, here's Ravi Zacharias. You may be in a situation today where you need wisdom to say something right and deal with it in the right way. Seek his mind, seek his wisdom. And I tell you what Daniel says to me is, with all the knowledge that we have, it is not enough. We need wisdom. Look at how much knowledge we have in our time, and yet we lack wisdom in so many different ways. Our whole world is falling apart politically, and we desperately long for wisdom from somewhere. Hopefully, it'll be from God. So he drew the line of resistance. He drew the line of dependence. And lastly, he drew the line of confidence. He was confident that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom would not abide forever. It would only be God's kingdom that would abide forever. Augustine. His conversion was dramatic. And as the barbarians were scaling the walls of Rome to destroy it, he wept in his home in Carthage. And that's when he wrote the city of God. There's the city of God and the cities of men. As my brother so well said before we took Holy Communion, how he reminded us when he said, this world is not our home. This is not our home. We are renters. We rented this place very, very temporarily. We are here for a while and then we're gone. You know, my wife's mother is 99 years old and she's lived a very beautiful life, but now all of a sudden the mind is beginning to go. Even this morning, She'd been with her mother for a week in Toronto and then came here straight from Toronto. So the mother phones and says, now, what did we talk about when you were here? And there's something very important they talked about. Very important. And this is the third time she said to her, what did we talk about when you were here? Suddenly the memory is failing. The coherence is failing. And one day the heart will beat for the last time. I challenge you. Our life is like a vapor. 
It is here for a moment and it's gone. As I stand before you, I'm 73 years old. I started ministry when I was 26. 47 years have gone by. They've gone by like that. They've gone by like that. And all of a sudden, you know you're closer to the finishing line than you are to the starting line. And I urge you, settle it with God, whatever needs to be settled. And you could be confident, absolutely confident, that your life is in his hands. This morning on the television program, they were gracious enough, you know, television time is expensive. They were gracious enough to ask a question and one of the hosts said to me, you know, some prayers are answered, some prayers are not answered. How do you explain that? They had three different worldviews being represented. Mine was the Christian worldview. I said, in the Christian worldview, prayer is not a grocery list of requests before God. I said, Jesus himself, before he went to the cross, said, if there is any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. I said, prayer is not seeking to change the will of God. It is communion with the living God such that he will change you to have the ability to receive what it is he has for you. That's exactly what it is. It is a relationship. I didn't have the time to tell them, but you know Robert Browning's poem, when I see children ride a cock horse, I find it in my heart to embarrass them and tell them their sticks are more horse and they really are carrying what they say carries them. You know, they get these sticks as little kids hop around thinking the stick's carrying them. Actually, they're carrying the stick. <laughs> if you're a praying Christian, your faith in God will carry you. If you're not a praying Christian, you will have to carry your faith and you'll get exhausted trying to carry the infinite. And so, have the confidence that his will is perfect for you. I close with this little quotation and then an illustration. I bring this to an end. It is this. Malcolm Muggridge said this. The world's way of responding to intimations of decay is to engage equally in idiot hopes and idiot despair. On the one hand, some new policy or discovery is confidently expected to put everything into the rights. A new fuel, a new drug, detente, world government. On the other hand, some disaster is as confidently expected to prove our undoing. Capitalism will break down, fuel will run out, plutonium will lay us low, atomic waste will kill us off, overpopulation will suffocate us, or alternatively a declining birth rate will put us more surely at the mercy of our enemies. In Christian terms, such hopes and fears are equally beside the point. As Christians, we know that we have here no continuing city, that crowns will roll in the dust, and every earthly kingdom will sometimes flounder. Whereas we acknowledge a king men did not crown and cannot dethrone, as we are citizens of a city of God they did not build and cannot destroy. Thus the apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, 
living in a society as depraved and dissolute as ours. Their games, like our television, specialized in spectacles of violence and eroticism. Paul exhorted them to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in God's work, to concern themselves with the things that are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It was in the breakdown of Rome that Christendom was born. Now in the breakdown of Christendom, there are the same requirements and the same possibilities to eschew the fantasy of a disintegrating world and to seek the reality of what is not seen, the eternal reality of Jesus Christ. As I walked through your street for a moment yesterday and my wife and I went out for dinner, I had a memory, a flashback. The first time I came here, meeting David Wilkerson. It was the first book I ever read after my conversion, The Cross and the Switchblade, in India in the mid-60s. And I saw David walking in the street, and he stopped and recognized me, and we chatted. The time came where God called him home and handed the baton to this lovely couple, Carter and Teresa, and the team they lead. And the time will come where God will move the baton to the next generation. We are not here forever. We are not here forever. God buries his workmen, but his work must go on. Those are the words of Charles Wesley. Drawing the line of dependence and drawing the line of confidence but starting with drawing the line of resistance. Resistance, dependence, and confidence. Draw the lines in the right places. Will you do that today? Resistance, dependence, confidence. Draw them in the right places. Charles Wesley wrote this hymn. I have made it my prayer. O thou who camest from above, your celestial fire to impart. Kindle a flame of sacred love on the mean altar of my heart. There let it for thy glory burn with inextinguishable blaze and trembling to its source return in humble prayer and fervent praise. Jesus, confirm my heart's desire to work and speak and think for thee. Still let me guard the holy fire and still stir up thy gifts in me. Ready for all thy perfect will, my acts of faith and love repeat, till death thy endless mercy seal, and make my sacrifice complete. Till death thy endless mercy seal, and make my sacrifice complete. What does a man or woman of God look like who will follow him and be totally fulfilled? Look at the life of Daniel and draw the lines in the right places, you will see what a person looks like. I know there are students here from Summit. I congratulate you for studying, for what you're doing, and how you are doing it. You will be carrying the baton into the future. <laughs> Carry it well. And may God be with you. God bless you.
Ravi Zacharias, the final sermon that he preached entitled Marching to a Different Drummer. We'll take a brief time out, we'll get you updated on traffic, and return with more in this special tribute to the late Ravi Zacharias on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Today, a special tribute to a very special man, one of the leading Christian apologists of our life, Ravi Zacharias, who passed away at his home in Atlanta on May 19th. In his final sermon, he deals with issues that really go to the heart of the Christian faith and our relationship with Christ. In his message entitled, Marching to a Different Drummer. Once again, here's Ravi Zacharias. You've really responded to the invitation of Christ. That's what you've come forward for. And I'm going to pause silently for about a minute or so and say this. If you have never done this before, if you've never really given your life to Christ, please come. This is your moment. Don't put it off. It's very easy when the heart is touched to say, ah, oh, if I can just weather this moment, I'll be fine. I'll get out of here without doing it. No. If you get out of here without doing what God is asking you to do, you'll never really get out. The hound of heaven will be on your trail. And he will follow you because he loves you. And he will not let you go. So as we're waiting silently, if you have never done this before, upstairs or on the annex, wherever, please come to the front. God has his invitation open for you. And this may be the moment to see things turn around. Thank you. We waited. Please come. That's very important, especially if this is the first time for you that you talk to somebody in the church here. Somebody with a badge, somebody you recognize, one of the counselors, one of the ushers. Just say, I need somebody to pray with me. I'm going to pray for you. But it would be wonderful if somebody prays with you. So you seal it as an individual and resolve in your heart not to follow the king's edict, but to follow God's will. That's what God wants. Shall we pray? Lord, it is my earnest prayer that you will be pleased tonight. That you will have in your heart that which you tell us you have when even one comes home. That there is rejoicing. That there will be rejoicing in the heavens this hour because those who have been prayed for have struggled, have made this walk to surrender to you. I pray for those who have never done this before, doing it for the first time, that like the waiting father, you will come and embrace them and welcome them back home. Because that which was lost has been found. Father, for those who've come because of the tenderness of their hearts, they have heard your voice. Thank you for that sensitive spirit that they take that step courageously to tell others 
I'm with the Lord. I'm following him. For those who have had to make hard decisions tonight, to turn their back upon that which destroys and come to that which heals and restores, let it not just be a walk for this hour, let it be a walk for the rest of their lives. Walking with you in lockstep with your will. I thank you, Lord, for this wonderful place where for decades now people have met and worshipped. Thank you for the music that we've heard. Lord, it thrills me to know that someday we'll all be singing like ivory. And have a voice like that or play the instruments as these men and women are playing them. Because you've promised to put that new song in our heart and then give us a new voice. Let your benediction rest upon these in the front, but indeed upon the whole congregation. I thank you for Carter and Teresa and their labor of love. You alone know the cost, but you also know their heart. And for the team you have put around them, without whom they would never be able to do this. Bless the leadership. Bless this ministry. For one day, Times Square will give way to eternity's landscape. And we all await that day. Let your benediction rest upon us. Thank you for giving me the strength to deliver this message. May all honor be yours. And evidently, Lord, you ordained it such that the same truths will be stated twice today. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? You are sovereign and you are gracious. Dismiss us with your blessing. In the name of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to a very special sermon message, a tribute really, to the late Christian author, Bible teacher, and apologist Ravi Zacharias. His sermon message is entitled, Marching to a Different Drummer. I'm Craig Roberts. We'll take this brief time out and back with more on this Friday, May 29th edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Before we conclude our memorial tribute to the late Dr. Ravi Zacharias, I thought I would present to you one highlight from the memorial service that was held earlier today in Atlanta on behalf of Ravi. And this is the eulogy delivered by his daughter. There's not much more that I can say other than let her best express just how much Ravi Zacharias meant to all of us. This isn't going to be enough. Um, These words aren't going to be enough. And it isn't because of the limits of time. It's the limits of language to begin to describe everything that this man was and all that he meant to us. Um, My oldest son, who's eight, um, a couple of uh, weeks ago, several weeks ago, I guess, sat me down. He said, I need to know what's happening with Papa and if he's going to be okay. And so as we started talking about my dad, uh, he was overwhelmed with emotion. And he said to me, Mama, you don't understand. I can't be me without Papa. 
And we started talking about what he meant to him. And we said, Todd, you're talking about the things that even death can never take away from my son, the things that his grandfather has meant to him. And then he turned to me and he said, what has Papa meant to you? And I knew right away inside that for me, he was the man who loved me. He was the man who has always loved me. He was so many other things. My mom told us that the first thing my dad said every morning was, thank you, Lord. I've tried it. And do you know how hard that is to do? No matter what has happened the day before or what you think today might hold. He told me that being a good man doesn't mean doing the right thing when it's easy. That was just common sense, he said. It was only character when it was hard and you did it anyway. He was brilliant. His brilliance did not keep me from trying to win an argument, though. And in our last few weeks in Houston, as he started to weaken, he grew quiet and in an attempt at humor, I told him that I needed him to get better. When he wasn't speaking, I was finally winning all of our arguments and I wanted the challenge back. His eyes stayed closed, but he grinned. My dad was at home with those often overlooked, taken for granted, or marginalized. A friend wrote that he could dine with kings and make a taxi driver feel like a king. If you were in front of him, he saw you. I love that the most intense I ever saw him in answering a persistent questioner was when he was defending the God-given value of women. He was so problematically generous. One of the sweet challenges of directing his philanthropy through RZIM was that he hated the paperwork. If someone had a need, we needed to help them, and he was frustrated by the process that sometimes delayed it. And I knew that if the delay was more than he could handle, he was simply going to quietly pay it from his own pocket, and he did that more times than I can count. He was funny, like really funny. <laughs> my dad loved my mom, but he admired her too. He said that it was her strength and gentleness in, him, in her that drew him to her. He said to me, but I never could have known how amazing she would be, all that she would do, all that she would give, and that she would be all of these things to me. I think, Mom, that every time I walked into your room those last few months in Houston, Dad would look at me and give me one of his beautiful smiles, and he would always say, it's so good to see you, sweetheart. Look at your mother. She's an absolute gem. He wasn't one of those parents that told us that we should do anything we wanted, it was the particularity of our individual strength that he saw and he championed. Sarah, he recognized the leadership abilities in you years ago, but he trusted your judgment because he trusted your heart. And he saw something stunning in your soul. And Nate, you made him laugh, like that head back contagious laugh Sandra was talking about that we loved. He loved that your strength of person was shrouded in a gentleness that is rare. And he wanted you to hang on to that in a world that tries to destroy it on the rare occasion that it finds it. He was a doting grandfather, this classy man with a mind for knowledge and poetry and philosophy who would look at the ta across the table to his grandchildren with adoration and just randomly call out, I love you, little boy. I love you, little girl. He had met with public leaders, but I never saw him as nervous as he was the day he walked into my four-year-old's class to be secret reader. He knew those little people mattered, and he had humility to know that he had to earn their trust and respect. He knew that it meant nothing to a little boy in there that he'd spoken at Princeton, but everything to him that his papa showed up in preschool that day. There was such a goodness to him, a pure goodness. 
If he believed in you, it did not matter what other people said about you. He had your back and he proudly stood in your corner. This is just a glimpse of him. So when I told my sister that my son had asked who Papa had been to me, I said, I know he's so many other things, but to me, he's the man who loved me. He's the man who loved us. And my sister said, but isn't that everything in the end? And at the end of his life, when his body was suffering and declining, when medication struggled to ease his agony, when the windows to the soul are open and exposed, what we saw is that he could not take his eyes off my mother. He told us countless times a day that he loved us. He prayed constantly, one time, nine times in a row for the same meal until my mom and I finally decided it was probably just too much trouble to eat. He marveled at how beautiful my sister was every time she stepped into the room. When those striking dark eyes that were always shining and full of life began to change and eventually close, when he was no longer able to converse, he whispered constantly about the gospel. He called for my mother and he melted into her with the little strength he had when she took his face in her hands. He called out Baba to my brother. He whispered about kebabs that melted in your mouth, biryani and gulab jamun. My father was ready to meet his Lord, but he fought as he did. Only because he didn't want to leave us. My sweet father, who's so faithful that although I'm 42 years old, one of the last things he whispered to me was that he wished he could take care of me forever. So when he exhaled his last breath, each one of us could physically feel a part of ourselves die with him. And it was my mother who first broke the sound of our cries together and could say, what a beautiful man and what a beautiful life. And my sister could whisper, we were the luckiest. At the end of Harper Lee's book, To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus Finch is walking into the courthouse for his great trial and sitting in the balcony a caretaker urges his daughter. She says, stand up, Jean Louise, your father's passing. In a different sense, my father is passing. And dad, I want to stand up in absolute respect and adoration and honor for who you are, for who you have been in life, who you've been to me, dad, who you have been as my father to this daughter. You are one of the greatest loves of my life and I will forever be standing at the sound of your name and standing to try to live my life in what will only be a fraction of the example you have set. And when I'm tired or so sad and so weary, I won't give up, Dad. I will think of you and I will stand for who you made me and taught me to be, for the example you set for me, for the love you've given me and the God you have shown me. Mom, to honor Dad is to honor you. He would not have been who he was without your belief and support. He was a part of your calling, a beautiful part of it, but your calling and purpose still continue and we will surround you as you continue to live it. When the hospice nurse told us my dad didn't have much time, she said it can be hard for the body at this point. The body knows that something's happening, but it's not at a stage anymore where it can necessarily process what's happening. And she said it can feel quite scary. So she said, help him to feel loved help him to feel strong enough to do this and let him know he is safe with you. We knew how to do that because it's what he's always done for us. And what an honor it was to get to do this for him as together as a family, we walked him home. 
Dad, when I was a little girl and you were away, I missed you so much. I wasn't the same when you weren't there, and I couldn't wait for you to come home. I always knew we were your home. The Lord had called you to a purpose, but he let us be your home. And now that you've gone, we miss you so much. We have to think to try to breathe. But this time, Dad, we are longing and looking forward to the day when we will all come home to you. I think that maybe I will always struggle to accept that I couldn't fix this for you. Not because I thought I was that powerful, but because you were so worth fighting for. And I wanted more time. But we can say thank you, Lord, for all that you have given us in this man who is hero of our hearts. My son is right. None of us will be the same without you. We will do what you showed us to do. We will love each other. We will find strength in and for each other. And we will be a safe place for each other. And to the best of our ability, we will live the way you showed us how to live and how to die. Our beloved father, the beautiful embodiment of the words of the hymn writer, I'll love thee in life, I will love thee in death, and praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath, and say when the death do lies, cold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Highlights from the memorial service earlier today in Atlanta, Georgia, honoring the late Ravi Zacharias. I'm Craig Roberts for Lifeline. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.